Today I had the pleasure of sitting down with John Carr, veteran of the 25th Infantry Division, bourbon slinger and firearms enthusiast, alongside Mark Lancaster, owner of Squared Away Customs and co-host of the podcast Shooters Nation. Mark is an advocate of the Second Amendment and has some good perspectives on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I enjoyed the discussion immensely and I hope you do as well. Welcome to Radio Free New Hampshire. Thank you for joining us. You know what I mean? Like he brings me in just to have a co-host. I said, the first thing, I was supposed to be a guest on the first one. He's like, this one really well. He's yeah. like, you want to just be on every episode and co-host with me? I was like, yeah, sure. And so we've been doing it ever since. But I think last numbers I heard were somewhere in they were like 10,000. Wow. Nice. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And reaching a core audience. Yeah. And so uh, and we're rolling here. So what's the name of your uh, podcast? Uh, Shooter's Nation. Shooter's Nation. Mm-hmm. And people can find that. I found it on Everywhere you can find podcasts. Yeah. Um, it's on Spotify. It's on YouTube. It's on Stitcher is the other one, I think. Um and then, of course, iTunes, yeah. yeah. I think I got hooked into it through uh, you getting me into the Shooters Nation group on Facebook. Yeah, the Shooters Nation community is a Facebook group that we have um, that's been that's been really great. A um, okay. little bit, a lot of interaction with guests and, you know, the subject matter experts that we have on the show, they, they join the group, and it's, it's pretty great because listeners have questions after the episode, and there's people there to answer them, so it's been pretty neat, interactive. I want you guys to get Pat Mac- uh, McNamara on there sometime soon. Right. That'll be dynamite. Yeah. And what's your background that uh, brought David to you? So I own a holster company in the firearms business. We do custom-made Kydex holsters, um, and I've been doing that for, I've been making holsters for about seven years, started the business about six years ago, um, and David was a customer, a good customer, a regular customer. So we started chatting and been connected for probably four years. He's been a customer, and then we just started chatting. He said, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. What do you think? I was like, sounds like a great idea. He's like, you want to be on the first episode? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Never done it before. Let's do it. And then I kind of stuck, and now we're, I think, I think about 60 episodes deep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've heard, uh, like I said, I've heard a few, and mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty interesting. I, I enjoyed uh, listening to the episode. It, uh, it was the recap of the um, NRA conference that you attended and yep. David attended, yep. and, and that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I listened to a couple others mm-hmm. uh, as well. And um, John, you haven't been on yet? Not yet. Not yet, huh? Mm-hmm. One of these days. One of these yeah. days, yeah. And so, Mark, what's your background that, uh, what, what prompted you to start uh, your company? So I was kind of chasing a resume and a dollar sign as I was <laughs> growing older and in some matter of form of sales, whether, you know, I started in the car business and my last sales gig that I didn't really love but was pushing me in the wrong direction for dollars and resumes was I was selling software in the healthcare industry, mm-hmm. which is nothing I have a passion for at all whatsoever, but it looked good and it paid well and so on and so forth. And then um, kind of a, a, a buddy mutual friend had a, had a small gun shop and needed some help, and I jumped in there to help run that for a while. Um, took a bit of a pay cut, but it was I needed a break. I flew a lot in like 2011. I think I had 110 flights with JetBlue. Um, for the gun shop or for the no 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 for the company. software company okay. yeah uh, you know my office was in Tampa I had a phone that rang in Tampa and I live here in New Hampshire you know what I mean it's like I have to go cutouts. to yeah I'd, I'd go to Tampa twice a week twice a month for a meeting you know what I mean just a ridiculous amount of travel and I had a young daughter at the time and it was just it was just too much and I didn't love it and I had no passion for it and when he 
made an offer to come run at the gun shop, I was like, well, that sounds really awesome. You know, it sounds like something I absolutely have a passion for. And yeah, it's a pay cut, but man, it sounds like a great time. So decompression at least. Yeah. Worked out a deal and went in and did that for about, uh, I think it was like 13, 15 months somewhere in there. And, you know, it was time to, time to part ways and, and do something different. And he was going to kind of take over the reins of his shop himself. Um, and I was like, the thought of going to do something that I didn't have a passion for again was horrific. Well, you, like, were their, you were their rifle guy for the longest time too, weren't you? Yeah, built a bunch of carbine builds and custom builds and customizations and, and that kind of moved you into and, the holster thing there. When some of the guys actually checking into you for that because you came in with some of your own, I believe. Yep, and that's basically where the holster thing started. Was when I was running that small shop, as I you know thought you know another way we can make some money is I'll start making custom holsters. I've seen it on YouTube. Maybe I can do it. Made the first one I ever had on the island in my kitchen. Bought a piece of Kydex on Amazon for twelve bucks. <laughs> um, bought a chunk of leather from the local other guy and, and made this holster on my kitchen island with a heat gun and a, <laughs> it was a nasty, <laughs> nasty piece of work. But people started coming to the shop and see me wearing and was like, hey, where'd you get that? And it's like, I made it. And I was just like, man, we could probably make some money on this. So I started making them for the gun shop. And then when that got busy enough, I hired a guy to make them for the gun shop. Um, but yeah, when that when the relationship with the gun store ended and he was going to kind of take over and I was going to go do my own thing, I was like, there's no way I can go work for the man mm. doing something that I don't have a passion for again. You got a taste of freedom. Yeah. And so I was like, screw it. So I sold at 39 guns about, and I sold about 30 of them to fund the business. Started it just like that in my laundry room of my house. And... Just word of mouth, getting it out there. Started a Facebook page back when Facebook didn't care if you mm-hmm. had a gun-related business and promoted the hell out of it there. Borrowed zero money and got it off the ground. It went real slow the first year, and then it took off really good. And then there was some huge peaks that um, that we encountered. You know, At one point in time, I had seven guys working in the shop and me running the back end, and now I've ratcheted back to bring it to a much more comfortable, manageable, less stressful level of operation. And, uh, you know, I got one guy and a part-timer and then me. And uh, So you're actually making them again? No, or are you just yeah, no, I'm still doing just the business side of it. Yeah. I have, you know, my right-hand man, Corey, is in the shop, and he's, he's making, you know, 99% of what goes out the door. He's got his hands on from start to finish. I don't know. You still owe me a handcraft. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, John was John was a customer from very early on, and uh, that first kilo is still out there too. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Chris ended up buying that off me. Yep. It's scary to look back at some of the old gear and some of the old pictures. <laughs> it's like, it's like think about like, do we take those pictures off social media? <laughs> like they look bad. The, the the product that we made back then, it's just a completely different animal. Well, when you guys were running against that leather type background, that started uh-huh. looking better, a little more professional. Yeah. Yeah, you before you did a, the white box. Yeah, quite a, a array of choices now. When you go onto your website, you've got, yeah. I mean, custom printing, uh, all sorts of different textures and patterns, and and actually, in 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 the attempt to trim the fat a little bit <clears throat> and speed up the lead time and reduce the man hours, we've we've trimmed out, for instance, the custom prints. Mm-hmm. That's something that was, I mean, I was having to do Photoshop on thirty different projects a month. You know what I mean? It was just like a ridiculous amount of time. 
Um, it wasn't really it, that big a request anyway. It was very big. Really? Yeah. We did a ton of it. I mean, because, I mean, for the listeners, I mean, all you need to do is send me a JPEG and I can have it custom infused into your plastic holster. Mm. And it's not something that will wear off or scratch off. This is infused into the material. Mm. Um, there's still a lot there today, you know, whether it was, you know, a lot of, you know, USMC down the side of your holster or American flag or we the people one. Still got my um, 25th. Yep. Still gets a lot of use. Yeah, your strawberry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. No, I mean, anything you wanted, we could put it on there. I mean, we did it, <laughs> album covers from rock bands <laughs> and like where, where it got a little sticky is, uh, you know, copyrighted stuff because yeah. the infringement. Yeah. But uh, yeah. so it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, everybody that's in business seems to want to grow and you just want to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't your real ultimate goal. And, nope. and there's a huge market for this. Mm-hmm. You, you said for the custom work mm-hmm. that you don't really enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that I don't enjoy it, and it's not that I didn't <clears throat> want to grow because I really did want to grow, especially in the beginning. I wanted it to be the biggest bag. I, I wanted to make a ton of money on it and love what I was doing. And but at what point does it become a business? Yeah, it, it took to all the passion. fun out of it. It yeah. took all the fun out of it, one hundred percent. And it's still almost. It kind of got to the point where it was like so big and so chaotic, and there was so much going on. It was. Mm-hmm. It was more than I wanted to deal with. Lead and times. You were starting yeah. to get up and raving, as far yeah, as lead times go. You come to my. You know, John comes in. He wants a holster, and I'm booking out twelve weeks. You know, he needs a buddy, and I feel bad saying. Can't help you, John, right now. Like, I'm booking out 12 weeks. What's I've got business? 700. It's not like I'm going to give you a hard time about that. I've got 700 orders ahead of you. You know what <laughs> I mean? I can't just stop everything to make you one. Well, you you know? got invoices going across the board. I I can't really fault you for that. Yeah. You guys had to eat, too. Yeah. So uh, how do you scale back a business like that? So I stopped advertising 100%. Mm. I have not spent a dollar in advertising in over a year. Um, so I stopped advertising. I even stopped posting on social media. I was a one a day on every platform for years. That's how I built the business. And I stopped posting on social media and it took over a year and we're still at an eight week lead time. All right. You want me to stop sharing stuff for you? Cause I, <laughs> I still do that pretty regularly. No, I, you know, I appreciate that, you know, and, and, and it's only been until recently. Um, and that's because, you know, I had a, a, another buddy that's just kind of going through some stuff and needed something to absorb some time. So I, you know, hired him at, at a very reasonable amount to run my social media. Just mm-hmm. so one more thing that I don't need to do. So my buddy Nate now is taking over the social media side of things. So he's doing the Instagram posts, the Facebook posts, and those sorts of things and, and trying to trying to fluff that up a little bit again. And, and it's just... I hope he's not the one that did that beard picture of you. Um, he may, he oh my, may, oh my God, yeah, he may have done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that at the, wow, Mark's yeah. age. Yeah. It's like, Christ, for once, you look young, you look freaking older than me. Right. And so your business now, uh, is solely still custom, uh, holsters or have you branched out into other areas as well? So I am an FFL and an SOT. And for those who don't know, I have a federal firearms license and a special occupational tax, which allows me to sell suppressors, short barrel rifles, that sort of thing class within three. the state of New Hampshire, class three items. Mm-hmm. Um, we are an FFL, so we can do firearms transfers, we can do firearms sales. And we did that mainly because I wanted to get into the holster game when I was really trying to like steal mm-hmm. like as much business as possible. I wanted to get in the holster game for competition shooters. The STI. The, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. I'm and you mentioned in that. The, the, the competition shooters guns are so highly modified mm. no two are alike mm-hmm. so I really need their gun in-house because it's like a lot of back and forth at six bucks a piece for the USPS to find it's like oh well, it's too tight here oh it's too loose there oh this doesn't fit this way so this way the, the end user the shooter could mail me the firearm we could make the holster test fit it with their gun 
and then I could mail it directly back to them because I'm a class seven manufacturing FFL. So mm-hmm. it allowed me to mail it directly back to the end user without them having to go through an additional background check, an additional transfer fee, all those sorts of things. So that's why I originally had gotten the FFL. Yeah. And so is it is there a reasonable percentage of your business that you're um, devoting to you know firearms sales or to suppressors? No, little to nothing. So it's just that you have the mm-hmm. licensing that allows I have the license that allows that, and it also allows me to fund my habit at dealer cost, <laughs> which is always nice. Yeah, so you've got a pretty decent collection built up. Yeah, I mean, uh, people pick on me all the time because I, 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 I obsess about, you know, a build or a new gun or a new firearm that I want, and I think about it, and I, you know, or, like or the ones that I'm building, I'll, like, obsess down to fantastic. the... I'll obsess down to the pin, you know, <laughs> each pin and each spring that's going to go in. This is going to be the latest, greatest. And I get it all done, it's like, well, there it is. I'll go shoot 10 rounds and be like, oh, I'll sell it. Mm-hmm. And I list it, and it goes for sale. Yeah, at least you and I have a difference on that. Yeah. I obsess on the 1911s, but I keep the damn things. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I've got a collection. I wouldn't say it's it's not... I've sold a lot of guns over the last six years, that's for sure. So where do you see the industry going with uh, the possible changes? Uh, I mean, everything is so, everything changes dramatically now with shifts Mm -hmm. in politics. If if one party, one leader takes over, uh, Mm -hmm. we see, we've just seen this with this administration, just dramatic changes across the board, Mm -hmm. regulations, uh, healthcare, uh, I mean, just really not a whole lot with firearms yet, but uh, potentially Mm -hmm. uh, there's been talk of a, a national carry License. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the connection to healthcare on that as well has become kind of a prevalent thing. Especially you know, Washington you, you, State. Yeah. Well, even around here now, you go in to bring your kids in to have them looked at. And, you know, the doctor might let slip, oh, you have any guns in your house? Hmm. You know, even though it's probably not the smartest thing to just kind of throw that out there because they're being a little too obvious about it. So you've bumped into that? I've I seen did. it happen with a couple of people. Yeah, uh, I told it you. hasn't actually happened to me, so I've been kind of lucky on that, I guess. Uh, but it has happened, and I've heard people complaining about it in the waiting rooms. And mm-hmm. you know, I've got kids too, so it's one of those things where I expect it to come down the pike eventually. Yeah, yeah. My daughter's twelve. Um, her last checkup it was like, you know, how's this doing? How's that doing? Do you, you know, tell me about this? How's school going? Do you have any firearms in your house? Like, it wasn't it wasn't subtle at all. Yeah. Like, are, are, are there you any afra- in your house? are you afraid at any point in time because there are guns in your house? Yeah, yeah. That kind yeah, of stuff. It wasn't that question for no, me. I, I heard that one twice, yeah. and that kind of bothered me. That was mm-hmm. right out in the freaking waiting room. Um, it's just, are they in your house? And like, what business is it of yours? Shotgun yesterday. <laughs> you know, my daughter doesn't care. You know, she's yeah. around them all the time. You know, and I think that that's, I mean, going off on a tangent here, but I think the biggest problem with kids and firearms is the curiosity. And you yeah. remove the curiosity and you remove the problem for the most part, I think. If you teach them from the early ages, then it doesn't turn out to be an issue, really. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the ones who... I hate to say it, tend to obsess over it with video games and mm-hmm. rap culture and everything else. You know? True. you know, not to point fingers at one culture or another. It's just you find this stuff so prevalent in today's media mm-hmm. that kids are like, "Oh, you know, hey, what are we gonna do? Can we do this? Can we do that? Blah blah blah, horseshit." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of my favorite pictures of uh, my daughter. Oh, yeah, that's a great picture yeah. of Bella. One of my kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's it. I think you're right. I think curiosity is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, teach them right. You know, we we. Kept we raised our kids in city limits, so you can't shoot on property. When I grew up, I grew up outside of city limits in you know Vermont, and uh, mm-hmm. you could go out and shoot every day if you wanted to. Nobody cared, but um, but yeah, this was actually up at the range in Thetford. I don't remember how old she is there, but that's a 357. Yeah, <laughs> looks about maybe 11 or 12. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. And uh, you know, so she grew up around them, um, and uh, she you know, no expert, and the other kids did too, they've all mm-hmm. been out to the range, and then. 
Um, one of our kids, uh, who's uh, 22, lives in Arizona, and he um, actually I ordered a yeah I was gonna say we yeah, sent him a holster yeah mm-hmm. we sent him a holster and uh, he just picked up a um, an AR-15 and, and it's you know it's it's one of those things where I'm not I don't live with him so mm-hmm. I'm not there to to talk to him about the rifle and mm-hmm. he didn't grow up with an AR-15 in the house so he's got to learn on the fly as opposed to someone there who has experience teaching him yeah so I'd be more comfortable of course if I was there and could. Mm-hmm. See how he handles it and mm-hmm. teach him more about it. Yeah. Well, at the very least, start him off the way Uncle Sam taught you. <laughs> right, yeah. And then throw everything out the window and teach him how to really do it. <laughs> yeah, right. But, yeah, so that's, you know, that, that's one of those things where it's, for me, um, it's kind of, I go back and forth with him buying an AR-15. You know, it's a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great product. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'd love to be able to be there to see how he handles it and teach him yeah. you know, more about it. Yeah, a good Christmas gift would be a nice uh, one-day class or something. I thought about it. I looked into yeah. some of the Look schools. Look down the gun site. He's right there in Arizona. Yeah, some of them don't have one-day classes that I could find. Uh, they're more. Day. Yeah, they're more. You know, and he works full time, so we'd have to figure mm-hmm. out how to work that in. But I, I agree. That was something I looked at when he was talking about buying the pistol. Um, I've done gun site twice, and they're worth it every time. Yeah. You know, they're not as expensive as some of the other ones, like uh, what's his name, uh, Piazza up in Washington. Uh, Ignatius Piazza. You think he's the one that uh, taught Mark Wahlberg for shooter, mm-hmm. or uh, you know Clint Smith. He's one of the best freaking trainers in the country. But you got to have the time and the money to be able to afford him. And while he's worth every penny, uh, I'm not sure I'd be willing at this point in my life to throw that kind of money out there just because you know that's that's <laughs> a mortgage payment. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the the idea of a class that's a good thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So with, I mean, any, everything can change in this industry uh-huh. really on the whim of, of politics, or at least that's how it's sold. But if you look at the last eight years where we had a Democratic administration, there wasn't, a, in my understanding, a whole lot of uh, real new regulation that came out of the gun industry, was there? No. Um, there's been more since um, we've had a Republican yeah. office, frankly. I mean, yeah. the, the bump stock ban was, was pretty significant. I mean, well, you know what the response to that was for anyway. Yeah, so I mean, even though it, it's, 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 it, it's an item that I could give a shit about. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. ridiculous. I think it's a, a stupid waste of money. I think mm-hmm. it's a very silly thing to own. Well, it's never, sloppy, very sloppy. I've yeah. n- never had any interest in one. I've, I've, I've tried it once just to say that I've done it. Um, it's for people who've never done time in the service to actually feel like they've done time in the service. Yeah. Because at that point, you know, it's like, oh, you know, they run full auto all the time. No, we don't. Mm-hmm. Very rarely do we run full auto. Mm-hmm. You, know, um, you get one round on target and the next two are up and to the right. Unless you bear down on that thing. So what's the purpose? You're wasting ammo. You're wasting money. Yeah. You're wasting civilians if it's bouncing over their heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus. It's a, it's a complete... Um, it's useless. It's a very useless. I mean, it, it's. I mean, so is full auto. I mean, you go to the, you go to the range and you yeah. shoot a full auto MP5. It's fun once, mm-hmm. right? It's like yeah. if you have a suppressor, it's, it's like, maybe you can actually hold it down. But for the most part, it's up and right every damn time. Right. Um. You know, four seconds and you spend thirty bucks and mm-hmm. and, and you didn't <laughs> yeah. hit your target well. Right. You yeah. know, it's uh. It has its place, and I think the place is not for the gun enthusiast or the gun guy, really. Yeah, what was that line from uh, Young Guns? Best five bucks I ever spent? Same thing. Mm-hmm. Similar, you know, at least as far as bopping a round of dimes down your barrel in a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got you. Yep. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, so, yeah, I mean, there, there wasn't any legislation per se, but 
what there was was a lot of anticipation of it, and there was a lot of scare tactics. Yeah. And gun sales have been way down since right? the Republic yeah. has been in office. You know what I mean? So elections coming, things are picking up already. Boom. I would think you so, know, yeah. It's already picking up. Um, well, it's the, the fear-mongering. The closer that we get to the election, the busier it's going to be. And then basically, I mean, if, if we get another term, then it's going to be a very slow four years again. <laughs> but leading up to it, it's going to be very busy. So, and then that's going to be a deciding factor of what's going to happen right after. You know, is, is, is it going to be crazy for another four or eight years, depending if we get a Democratic, you know, in office? We shall see. It's the yeah. same thing around the, uh, the sunset of the ban. Everybody went bug shit over that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's buy this and this and this. It's going to be cheap. Woo! And then we can turn around and sell it. I was running that gun shop um, when Obama was talking about, you know, shortly after Sandy Hook, and there was all that fear Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> P mags, which are nine dollar magazines, were selling for a hundred dollars a piece, mm-hmm. and there was never any legislation, ever. Mm-hmm. And they're down to like hundreds and now. hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them were sold at a hundred dollars a piece, mm-hmm. and now they're like ten, eleven bucks. Well, people and on they the have forum boards were doing that too with uh, Glock magazines. Mm-hmm. What two hundred bucks per mm-hmm. for a fifteen round nineteen mag? Jesus. Yeah, the pre-band mags, especially. Yeah, but yeah, we especially are, if they had the markings on them. Mm-hmm. We are seeing now more state laws being enacted as opposed to federal. I mean, right. California, Vermont, Vermont. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the magazine ban, right? Mm-hmm. High capacity. Uh, and I heard on your podcast you were discussing ARs that are built specifically for mm-hmm. New York State. So, yep. what's the New York law? It has to be a fixed magazine. Has to be a fixed magazine. It can't be removable. So your your option for loading is either a device that loads it through the injection port, mm-hmm. which is kind of hokey and they don't really work well, <laughs> or you can pull your back pin, tip your AR forward, and then load the top of the mag with an open rifle and then close it and put the pin back in. Mm-hmm. California, too, if I remember correctly. Uh, featureless, right? Um, yeah, there's a featureless, but I think you can remove the mag in California. Well, with the bullet button. Yeah. The bullet button, yeah, which mm-hmm. means you actually take the tip of a round. It's not a button you can push with your thumb. You have to take the tip of a round or something sharp and pointy, mm-hmm. stick it in the hole so that the magazine will fall. Yeah. So you I have mean, more state regulation than nothing. The thing about it is it's really just tactics from ignorant people that don't understand what, why, and, and how these things are happening. Like because, that shoulder thing that folds up for Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> because at the end of the day, if you, I mean, you give me an, a, a, an ignorant shooter, a shooter that's not well-versed, and you hand them an AR-15, and then you hand me a 100-year-old Winchester 3030, and you stick us both at 100 yards, you stick us both at 25 yards. You know what I mean? And you say, go, I am going to put more rounds on paper faster, on the target, on the bullseye, so on, however you want to mm-hmm. you know, say it, than the person with the AR-15. The AR-15 doesn't meet, make you a better shooter. It doesn't make you a more deadly shooter. It's just a tool. And the tool... Is is it's all on how you use it? You know what I mean. If you don't know what you're doing, it's not you're not going to be successful with it. Just like any other tool, just like a wrench, just like a pen. Yeah, I think people are gravitate they gravitate towards it because it has a lot of publicity. It's um, for for people that aren't well versed in mm-hmm. in uh, firearms. It's uh, it's attractive. It looks aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're relatively inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Images uh, everything. And and there's tons of them out there now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Almost every company out there is making one now. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the regulations that we've seen uh, come down federally since? Uh, we, so the bump stock ban is one. Is there anything else? It's the only one I know of. Okay. That I can think of. Anyway. Officially nationwide, yeah. yeah. And any movement at all that you've seen on a, a national carry? 
permit? Not that I, I mean, yeah. put any weight behind. I mean, that would be great. I mean, it would be a little frustrated because I've taken a lot of time and money to get oh. permitted. And I'm at, I think I'm at 38 states right now. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's like movement backwards. So your uh, federal firearms license doesn't really give you any doesn't benefit? Doesn't a bit of good. Yeah. I mean, well, there are some states that say I can possess it, but it doesn't mean I can conceal it. Mm -hmm. And I can only possess it if it's in business use, right? So, I mean, if we really want to get really gray, I'm in the holster business, and I'm carrying a gun in a state, it technically would be business use, right? I'm trying a holster, I'm, you know, it's a prototype <laughs> I'm working on, you know I mean? Sure. Yeah. We could get really gray, but I tend to stay away from gray when it comes to ATF and felonies, you know? Right. It's just not worth it. <laughs> yeah, it's your livelihood. Yeah, I like to keep those guys in my good graces currently. You know, I have a lot of ATF agent customers, you know what I mean? Sure. And that's where I like to keep them is on my good side. So I tend not to get in the gray area, which is why I take these classes and I spend the money and I get these out-of-state permits. I just picked up Utah because I have a trip to, to live for, I leave for Seattle on Tuesday. I'm in Denver on Monday, Monday, Tuesday, and then Tuesday I have head to Seattle. And I didn't have a Washington State permit. And I was mm -hmm. like, how do I not have Washington State? So the way it works for people that are listening and don't know, you get one state and then there's reciprocity in other states. So I got Arizona was my first really big one. That gave me like 30 states. And then I have New Hampshire. And then, so I knocked out a bunch of them. And then I was just like, then I, I look at, I have an app called CCW, for any of those out there that want to use it, it's really great. You touch the, the permits that you have, and then it tells you, gets, turns the, the map red or green, depending on if you're good or no good to carry in that state. Um, and, and there's Washington in red. And you have all this crap going on with Antifa. It's like a hotspot uh -huh. up there between Seattle and Oregon and Portland and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is just not where I want to be. And, of course, it's a big gun event, which is also public. And, you know, I'm just like, you know, I carry every single day. It's like most people, you know, people ask me, like, I don't understand how you do that. It's like, well, it's not much different than you carrying your phone every day. Or your right? wallet. Or your wallet every day. Or anything that you carry every day. It's a part of my every day. And, you know, I have friends, hey, you want to go down to the down to Mass and go to this restaurant? No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I have no interest. I can't carry there, and I don't feel like doing it. You know, I... I, I when I, it, it's very much, I say the same feeling is when you go somewhere and you've forgotten your phone, that ugly, weird feeling that most people have because they feel naked. They don't have that device, you know? I feel the same way. I am, I've trained, I did 110 hours of firearms training last year, more than most law enforcement's do in their career, <laughs> yeah. let alone a year. And I'm very savvy with the equipment. I know how to use it and I refuse to be a victim, you know? So. I heard you talking before on your podcast about uh, just this concept, and, and I think what uh, you really explained well was that idea that uh, leaving it behind for that one day, mm -hmm. and you don't anticipate anything happening, mm -hmm. but there's always that, that thought of, you know, if this is a day where something occurs and I don't have the equipment that I need, and, you know, I think uh, someone likened it to having a first aid mm -hmm. kit or, uh, sure. you know, um, uh, you know any, any type of medical um, mm -hmm. Necessity, you know, it's uh, uh, that one day. You know, it's hard to imagine yourself being without without that tool. Yeah, I mean, I have friends that you know carry some days and some days not, and some. Uh, you know, I'm wearing gym shorts today. Didn't really have a spot for it. <laughs> it's like, well, how are you going to feel when the ass hits the fan and there is an instance where you could have saved the life of a family member or an innocent woman at the grocery store or something else and you chose not to carry that day because you wanted to wear ball you know basketball shorts like I, I feel like that that people don't dig 
deep into it enough to they don't really, really think about the mentality. Yeah, they don't think of the philosophy of it and, and everything behind it that goes along with it. It's not just about carrying a gun. It's so much more than that. And it's it's a big choice. You know, it's a big, big choice. And I think that people don't put the time into thinking about it. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you use your gun, even if it is self-defense, you're going to jail. Mm-hmm. You use your gun, you shoot somebody. You don't shoot somebody, you brandish. Mm-hmm. You're going to jail. Yeah, Justified or not. Gets there. Justified or not. So you get a lawyer, mm-hmm. you're going to jail. You know what I mean? The, um, the, a very renowned trainer um, in the industry, Masada Yu, he teaches a class called MAG-40. Mm-hmm. And that class is about 10 hours on the range and 30 hours in the classroom teaching you what's going to happen before, during, after you use your weapon. Every bullet that leaves your gun has a lawyer attached to it. <laughs> and I remember that statement from 20 years ago, and it has I've, stayed with me forever. I've known at least three or five guys that <clears throat> carried every day that have taken that class. Stop carrying. It's not worth it. It's not worth the risk. It's not worth what's involved. Like it, they're scared to carry because of ramifications afterward, and that you know goes down the rabbit hole of CCW insurance. There's a lot of great ones out there that take really good care of you and protect you very well. And I highly recommend something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot more to it, and uh, it's, people really need to think about it before they they jump right into. I just want to carry my gun because it's cool. Yeah, so how do you feel about <laughs> constitutional carry states such as New Hampshire now where anybody can go and buy a firearm, mm-hmm. legally can buy a firearm, and then carry it? Mm-hmm. I mean, right after the governor signed that, there was an incident here in Lebanon where uh, there was a rolling, like kind of like a rolling domestic dispute, and I'm no, I don't remember exactly mm-hmm. the dates or anything. There was a rolling domestic dispute, uh, you know, male and a female, mm-hmm. and an officer came up on scene and determined that the male who was in the vehicle had a firearm but legally could carry it the domestic dispute hadn't reached a point where there was some type of uh, even a misdemeanor. I guess there was no chargeable offense that I recall. But uh, you know, then the officer didn't have any. I just remember that you know, mm-hmm. as somebody who believes in the mm-hmm. concept of constitutional carry, yeah. I saw the, how it can be problematic. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you feel about that? Um, I think that the whole constitutional carry. Thing, it's not necessarily important to me and I, I feel like if you're going to carry the gun you should go through the, the education and the training to do it properly you know and not to mention I mean if you're in New Hampshire and you don't have a permit I mean it's silly you should just get the permit it's really easy to do in New Hampshire it's one of the easiest states and then if you get New Hampshire I think you get nine other states with it in reciprocity right so I mean I think it's a silly thing not to do um, I I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like that we got it for the Second Amendment, right? Mm-hmm. I like that it's, for once, a direction, a step in the right direction. Step forward. Right. Um, however, I, I wish we had gotten a step forward in something different because I don't, I don't put much value in it. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fairly liberal individual, but the Second Amendment defense is very important to me, as mm-hmm. is First Amendment. and. Mm-hmm. You know, and as you look at the different rights in the Bill of Rights, those are all important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, a lot of thought out there, especially with more center and, and left individuals, that somebody like yourself or somebody like myself isn't going to have any type of a, um, I guess, a pragmatic approach to, uh, you know, constitutional carry or any type of gun regulation. That uh, I think that one of the things that happened with the NRA over the years was that it. Um, they really hammered home the thought 
that any regulation at all is a step towards confiscation of firearms. And therefore, if you're pro-Second Amendment, you cannot accept any level of what people call gun control or mm-hmm. firearms regulation. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that for me, that's improper because I'm, I, I personally, um, you know, I, I have a concealed carry permit. Mm-hmm. Um, I also practice uh, daily mm-hmm. as well. And nobody knows mm-hmm. that, you know, that I work with. Nobody has any idea if I'm mm-hmm. carrying or not. And that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody really knows my politics on it mm-hmm. in depth. Um, but well, that's I, because it's your business. Yeah, you know, and I, but I do think that there is, uh, there's another episode that uh, on your podcast where we talked about, uh, what did you call it, slack, slacktivism or uh, uh, David, maybe it was a solo podcast that he did, but about people who, you know, when, when something's important to you, you do have to speak out. Mm-hmm. You know, if uh, immigration is important to you, one side mm-hmm. or the other, you should speak out on it mm-hmm. and, and let it be known if, if Second Amendment is important or freedom mm-hmm. of speech or women's rights or whatever it is. If you're sitting on the sidelines just watching what's going on mm-hmm. uh, with the occasional Facebook yep. post, um, you're really not, it's like not voting. Then you sure. have no skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eventually you watch and you watch and you watch while everything keeps getting taken away. And then when everything's taken away, what do you do? But what is a reasonable regulation? So closing the, the loopholes of uh, gun show uh, purchases, uh, individual purchases without any background checks. Um, that's something that's, you know, it's in Colorado. They, mm-hmm. I know that they closed the doors on that. And, um, and they were really successful with that. And I don't think that that alone infringed on uh, very many gun owners, rights, legal gun owners. They did some other work in Colorado where they did a magazine ban and, mm-hmm. and such. That's mm-hmm. different, but... Yeah, I remember that. I think the biggest thing that, that for instance, in the gun loophole, I mean, I think there's some, some, some hot topics out there that are, that are, you know, like hot terms that, you know, the, the media will use because it kind of, kind of, Springs up a little bit of fear in people's ears. You know what I mean? People like I was speaking with my mother-in-law. I was just uh, visiting my 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 wife's family in Michigan last week. Speaking with her, she's like, "Well, this gun show gun show loophole is ridiculous. Nobody should be able to go and buy a gun from a dealer and not do a background check." And I was like, "Well, that's just it." Yeah, that's that's what we understand. Dealer. There's an FFL involved, right? If you the gun show loophole, I think is one of these hot topics that people they hear in the mainstream media. They don't know what it is. The assumption is that if you go to a gun show, you can buy a gun without a background check. And it's simply not the case. If you go to the gun show and you buy a gun from a dealer at the show, you are doing the exact same Form 4473 mm-hmm. background check that you would do if you walked into Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's and bought a gun. Yep. It's the and exact same applies thing. in both cases. Mm-hmm. So what is the actual loophole? What's so the loophole is... In personal the, in, sale. And it's, and it's ridiculous because the loophole is... If you go to the gun show and you're walking around and it's like you bump into a guy and it's like a guy's like, hey, I heard you at the table over there and you were looking for this and they didn't have it. I have one. Would you like to do a deal on mine? That is the gun show. It's a personal sale. Mm-hmm. Which ha- there's websites that do this all yeah. over the internet. But it's like a Craigslist for guns. You know what I mean? Like it is legal to sell on the secondary market. That's the fact of the matter. Yeah, the I mean, parking lot stuff. The parking lot thing is the gun show loophole, which most people just don't understand. And and it, I've, 
never seen that happen. Yeah. I worked gun shows for years. I've never, ever seen it happen. Well, rarely, if ever, are you going to see a tailgate party for an <clears throat> AR in somebody's backyard. You know, and it's just another one of those, you know, those hot buttons. Like, I think the, the AR-15 is another hot button, you know. There are many weapons out there just as dangerous that look like modern, look like a hunting oh, rifle. Oh, Mini-14. The Mini-14 yeah. is a perfect oh, example. Jesus, that yeah. gun is a-okay. I can do it exactly the same amount of damage. It shoots the Ooh. same amount of rounds. It has the same exact caliber. It looks different. Yeah. You know, Ooh. it's it's uh, it's frustrating because a lot of it is ignorance to the uh, for the you know for the American news listener because the the media plays this stuff because that's what gets ratings. But too many years of watching the A team makes them feel that the Mini Fourteen can't hit a damn thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I just <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's a uh, it's frustrating. Um, you know, because like sometimes, and I and this I had this because my my mother in law is very left. She, I wouldn't say she's anti gun though. She just she says, "Well, Mark, there's a problem, and there has to be an answer." And I was like, "Well, I think that's the problem because there isn't always an answer. Mm-hmm. There is no way in hell you can legislate evil." Period. You've talked to Sue's enough about this. You know her take on that. Mm-hmm. There's no way you can legislate evil. If they want to do bad, they're going to. And they've proven that with pressure cookers and Mm -hmm. Home Depot trucks and every other... Hammers have killed more people. You know what I mean? Like, you can't legislate this stuff. You know, it's just simply not the case. So what you're doing by putting in all these gun laws is you're going to restrict the guy that works his ass off to be very efficient with my weapon, and you're going to restrict me from it and keep me from potentially going home. You know, keep me from potentially going... Get bring my family home safe or protecting somebody, you know, in, in an instance. And bad guys don't follow laws. They're already willing to commit murder. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't they be happy to break a gun law? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And if you look around at the places that you're not allowed to carry a firearm, most of those places are the places you would most want to be able to conceal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if you're going to visit Boston, if you're going to if you're going to visit New York City, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those are the places or and, and many others as well. Yeah. Another, we, another prime we don't example. go to New York. We don't another, go to Mass. Right. We have another friends prime, in both. Another prime example, some of the worst gun crime in this country is in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it's the tightest gun law state in the country, period. Yeah, I, I do worry that uh, with um, some of the candidates that are running for the Democrat uh, nomination mm-hmm. for the presidency uh, that have really tied themselves closely to gun control. Mm-hmm. Um, if that candidate is their nominee, there are a lot of one-issue voters that would not vote for that candidate. And you know, and I look at myself, and, I'm, and I don't know if I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Swalwell just dropped out of the race. But you know when you, when the first time I, I was saw him, up on that. yeah. But the first time I saw him, he was on Bill Maher, right? Mm-hmm. And they were talking, and and a lot of what he had to say <clears throat> would be decent. I mean, we've got families, we've got you know things that are important to us, uh, mm-hmm. and if the guy were to become president, there are things that he would do that would benefit us, and there are things that he would do that we might not agree with. But that's living in America, you know, that's mm-hmm. living in a democracy. Until, but then he tied himself to confiscation, and uh, and it really came down to forced buyback program. Uh-huh. And you know I'm not going to vote for a guy that's going to say this is this is what I'm going to do as president. Uh-huh. Well, and so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, but here's a young charismatic guy uh-huh. that uh, you know will, could draw a lot of attention, could draw a lot of people to go out and vote for him. And if he were to become the nominee, I don't see myself voting for him. Uh-huh. And and you know I'm not 
a fan of Trump. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I am definitely an independent. I have voted for Republicans in the past. I've voted for Democrats. Um, and uh, I'm not tied to either party. But, uh, you know, I, I, there, are, I, I, there are things that are problematic in this administration that I, the reason that I believe in the Second Amendment comes down to a lot of what right. I see in this administration, you know. It's, uh, yeah, I think they, there's, you, know, you can go pretty deep on, on that. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, when you look at it, I'm glad Swalwell dropped out of the race. He was one of 23. Now it's gone, went down to 22, but it's back to 23 because uh, uh, impeachment, I forget his name, the guy that's trying to, he's been advertising on TV for the past year about impeaching Trump. Anyway, he just jumped yeah. in as a Democrat. So. But yeah, I'm glad to see him out. And um, I think that, you know, it would be really ignorant for the Democrats to put somebody in as their <clears> nominee who's, who's going to take the one issue, the single issue voters that might support them on health care, might support them on immigration policy, might support them on other issues, uh, but will not vote for them because of, uh, you know, their mm-hmm. stance on gun control. I made it a point to research some of this stuff as well. And, I mean, it dates back to how we ended up with the Second Amendment in the first place. Yeah. And it dates back to the English Bill of Rights in 1869 uh, with James II essentially confiscating all arms and means of defending yourselves from... I hate to say it, being one, uh, the Catholics of that time, uh, they were essentially making victims out of all the Protestants at that point. So, you know, at that point, it was a parliamentary thing that ended up rescinding the whole deal. And do we really want to have one person in charge of this? Or do we want to have at least five or six people to step back and go, um, maybe we should rethink the way you're going in this direction. And unfortunately, we're not really making headway on this right now. Yeah, uh, I mean, when you look at the origin of the the Bill of Rights, and um, when you look at uh, the Second Amendment alone, there's it's, it's there's a, there's a lot of depth to it. I've spent some time reading the uh, uh, the uh, Federalist Papers, mm-hmm. and you know Washington's farewell address, and and, and um, I'm by no means an expert, but just trying to educate myself and looking at the term militia, and uh, you know when you when you read the Second Amendment. Um, I don't want to butcher it, <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people argue that the idea behind the Second Amendment is that so folks can have a weapon in case they're called up to, to participate in the militia. But if you read a lot of the publication at the Times, um, in, the, the people, individuals are not responsible for providing a firearm if they were a member of the militia. It flat out says uh, that in our Constitution that the federal government is responsible for arming and training the militia if they're ever called into federal service. And the states are responsible for arming and training the militia at state level. There is a flip side to that, though. And I believe it's actually covered in a couple of different cases. Uh, In 1876, you had uh, United States versus Cruikshank. uh, You had Presser versus Illinois in 1886 and U.S. versus Miller in 1939. And most of them, at that point, they essentially quoted the contribution to the common defense of the state and the individual. Right. And that's something that seems to have gotten lost in the translation. You know, if it's the individual right to keep and carry arms in case of confrontation, does it fall to the state or the individual to selectively or electively arm the individual for protection of state and self? Well, I think if they're participating in the militia, I mean, it's, it spells, the Constitution spells it out, and then there are other documents at the time that talk about uh, who's responsible for uh, maintaining the militia. Mm-hmm. But this but, falls more under the terms yep, of regulating I, individuals. But so. I would argue cause that when you look at the actual Second Amendment, uh, the idea behind it, you, I mean, you can read it two ways, depending on how you interpret the comma. The, sure. It's the right of the individual to keep and bear arms because of the fact that they need to be able to avoid tyranny 
at the state or federal level. And when you go back and you look at the history of, um, of the idea of the federal government maintaining troops, and once again, I'm no expert, no historian, but just in reading a little bit, the, one of Washington's uh, concerns was that the federal military body, a standing army, uh, is going to be uh, used inappropriately. Too big. Yeah, it's going to be too big. It's going to be a draw financially, and it's going to offer the potential for you know, a, a tyrant, somebody who's corrupted, mm -hmm. to use that standing army to influence individuals uh, or, or uh, you know, the state. And so when I read the Second Amendment, I read it as it's the individual's right in order to protect themselves from tyranny. Right. That's how and I read it, not to participate in the militia. That's where most of these cases come into play, because they have determined in every one of them that it falls down to the individual as opposed to the state. This is about preservation of as it was said, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and all that. Yeah, but you know, it's also interesting. The Supreme Court never really upheld the Second Amendment until, Heller. or interpreted it that way until Heller, which I think was, what, 2008? Yes. And that was um, uh, based on the idea that in Washington, D.C., the laws were so restrictive that they violated the individual's constitutional mm -hmm. rights. And, and then they upheld it and really overturned uh, a couple of those laws. So... Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I mean, the court being fairly conservative right now uh, as cases get get tested again. So, But that is a concern. You know, as, as things go forward, if the federal government is to get more restrictive, uh -huh. you know, how does that in impact us as individuals? And then with if there ever was a forced buyback or really a confiscation program, I mean, that's going to that's gonna breed a lot of problems. <laughs> it's going to be a big problem. Yeah, these are not people that you want to go out and, uh, and challenge. No, yeah. not. That's the whole idea. Right. Give us your guns. Right, yeah. That doesn't work well. It doesn't bode well it, with most it, folks. It, 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 it can't happen. I think that everybody knows what's going to happen if that starts happening. You it's know not going to go well. And I'm not saying that it's the every gun owner is going to, you know, bar their doors and start pointing guns and right. uh, it's not going to be that way but there's going to be enough of them out there that are going to refuse and it's going to get it would be it would be nasty nasty yeah. nasty just as a, a way of looking at it now we are more divided as a country than we have ever been since the civil war what are the chances that we might be looking at another one yeah but you i think know? a lot of and that's not fear-mongering that's just looking at you know it's us versus them versus them versus them now we're not two sides we're like four or five six sides I do think a lot of that, though, is uh, is hype. I do believe it. A lot of people believe it. I really hope so. But but I but think a lot of it hype. is social media. I think a lot of it is uh, is you know the media pushing those ideas. Um, but most of it comes back to uh, the big money in this country is interested in sowing division because it enables them to it enables people in power to enact. Uh, laws and regulations that benefit them. And by dividing us, it really gives them the power. Well, of you, course, uh, and nobody can agree on any one thing, but then it falls down to the smaller groups. Yeah, but you end up with <clears> tax <throat> cuts that benefit these corporations that are not benefiting no, of course you know, not. companies well, my the, size. The little guy always ends up getting screwed. Yeah, and I think that that's, what, I think that's where that division comes. I think when you actually take most people, and I see this in our business, you know, we go out and we've always been uh, just... Really enamored by the by the fact that in our business we'll see the guys that are doing the construction work at Dartmouth, sitting you know the drywallers and the, and the the ditch diggers sitting next to the, you know the administration at Dartmouth, and there'll be professors from another at another table, and there'll be local high school kids at another, and there'll be people wearing camouflage at another table, and folks that are wearing 
you know, surf gear. Is, I think that that's really America. I think everybody does. It, it, the idea that we're all so divided, I believe, is really a fabrication, but it enables tribalism. And I think that that's a real big part of it, is pushing people into tribalism, mm -hmm. which makes for inaction in reality. And the problem is you end up with too many tribes and nobody actually uniting to take on what the real problem exactly. is. Exactly. I think that that's what it boils down to. Do you listen to Rogan? Yeah. You know, did you listen yeah. to the uh, podcast with Andy No last week? I did. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, Rogan was, I mean, made some very valid points in there when he, because, I mean, for those of you who don't know, Andy is a journalist, and he was going to some rallies in Portland, Oregon, and knowing that Antifa was going to be there. And he was videoing and was attacked and beaten by Antifa, hit with with rocks and milkshakes and punched and ended up in the hospital with brain injury yeah. um, and so on and so forth. But So that's the story. Um, there was no arrest made. There was no interaction with the police department at all. And it apparently was with, I haven't looked at maps, but within feet of the police department itself, right on like the steps of City Hall, essentially, is where this happened. Well, it sounds like they were falling under uh, rules of engagement. <clears throat> Unless they're directly attacking you, so you can't do a damn thing. come to find out, the mayor and the police commissioner are the same person right. in Portland. And he apparently has ordered the police as like a stand-down for all Antifa or rallies of some sort at this time and essentially handcuffed the police department. But what Rogan was saying is that, you know, the... The, the separation and the and, you know the divide in this country and in instances like that and the part that I was like he's exactly right is when he was saying like you you know were beaten for their reasons but like the last thing that we want is a bunch of people from the other side you know saying okay enough is enough like uh -huh. they pounded the snot out of this guy he's like because these people have guns right <laughs> like these people are very set in their ways and they're very loyal about what they're doing uh -huh. and so on. So he said it way more clearly than I'm saying it, but you know, at the end of the day, he's like, the retaliation that you're going to get is, is not going to be pretty. Yeah. And it's not going to be healthy for anybody. You know, so it's going to be bad. Yeah. And for every action that you create, there's going to be a, it is a very unequal Absolutely. and opposite reaction. Absolutely. And it's gone on and it's gone on and it's gone on. And this kid didn't do anything. He wasn't antagonizing. He wasn't doing anything. He was just running there. video and he was completely beat to crap because he was a, I think, quote unquote, like white nationalist is what is the reason. Come because to find he was out, white. He's not. He's Vietnamese and he's gay. But he was white to them. You know, and I'm like. He was a target. He openly gay man. Vietnamese man and you know Antifa felt the need and he's like you know you're hiding behind your masks and it you know it's 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 a big big problem well that falls to the whole political aspect too you know Antifa is supposed to be anti-fascist and yet they're exhibiting a lot of the same traits that that's also they're what he said. railing like, against isn't what they're doing fascism <laughs> I mean this is... they're creating their own political party you know they're, they're essentially brown shirts for the new generation so yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it, I don't understand the idea of uh, using violence to defend supposed liberal principles. When you're, but once again, you go back to who's actually controlling Antifa, you know, and I have no idea. But it was interesting to learn that one of the, control. well, but there is, that's the thing. And, and one of the authors of uh, one of their manuals is actually mm -hmm. a Dartmouth professor. Yeah, an adjunct well, professor, I think. At well, they might be pointing in directions, but they're not actually leading. They're not controlling. They're just saying, hey, 
go. Well, that seems, I mean, you know, that might be the thought, but uh, there, I think that there's more to it than that. I think that there is a lot of direction. There's a lot of control about information they talk about in that podcast. Um, you know, there's a, they don't allow dissent within the organization. When you look at what they're uh, really building themselves into, it's, it's exactly a fascist organization mm-hmm. that's, that is, what are they promoting? I mean, violence. They're, they're promoting violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, they stand behind the idea of anti-fascism, mm-hmm. but that's just lip service. There's obviously no actual uh, even concept of what they're protesting against. What it is is it's tribalism. What, you're, what yeah. they're doing is they're They're taking, fighting against something they don't like. Whatever it may be, it does not conform to their standards. So, hey, we're going to fight you. We're going to throw rocks at you. Hell, we might even, we might even beat the hell out of you I just because you're there. I think it's about getting people to get up and get out and belong to something that they feel a part of, that they go out and, and they feel like they're a bunch of tough guys in a gang, and they go out and they wear masks so there's no repercussions. Mm-hmm. You go to a city like Portland uh, where the police are forbidden to interact with Antifa. They don't make arrests. They don't stop them from violence. I mean, these guys are going out and, and openly macing people mm-hmm. and, and walking down the street and spraying mace on people, and the police are standing. That's assault. If you spray mace on somebody, you are assaulting them. Yeah. It's not a deadly weapon, but you certainly it can are assaulting them with a weapon. under the rules of mayhem. I, I'm sure there are many different charges that should be applied you, you to You can them. lose an eye for that. That's mayhem. Anytime you lose any hmm. operative part of your body, as far as the legal system goes, that counts as mayhem. I think so a big part of it. I think a big here. part of it is young people using these sorts of things as an excuse to go out and be an asshole and no repercussions. Yeah, I, I think, think that's a huge it. part of it is that. And another thing that I never really thought about much, and, and Andy, Andy brought it up in that conversation, is that yeah, there may be a crowd of a thousand, there may be fifteen that are doing these beatings and so on and so forth, but everybody else wearing a mask is a part of it because Followers. they well, not only they're not necessarily following. But they help a disguise because the beating happens, then boom, they dive into the crowd and they're just another guy in another black suit with a mask on. You know what I mean? And that's all part of it. It's all in the manuals, so to say. So, like, you show up wearing this because it helps the people doing the bad disappear and, and hide in the crowd. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it kind of falls back to clan. Same, same principle. You're hiding faces. <clears throat> Nobody knows who's doing what. One is certainly no better than the other. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's pretty uh, scary. And it, to think that, you know, they also, they market material. I mean, you can buy shirts, you know, and uh, yeah. so, yeah, they're Amazon. pulling people in. <laughs> right, well, you know, it pulls people in, and it mm-hmm. gives them something to belong to, which I think is one of the biggest problems that we've come to as a nation. But, mm-hmm. you know, people don't know where to go and what to belong to. And I think, you know, and, I, and this isn't an original idea either, but when we lost the Soviet Union, we lost that great common enemy that sort of united everyone. Yeah, there was no focus. Well, now there isn't. Now there's, you know, what, what, are, we, what do we stand for? Like, oh, that, 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 and that. You know, but what do we stand for? Who are our allies? It's a lot more fluid today than it ever was as for me when I was growing up. I'm not sure fluid is the term I'd use. Uh, ambiguous, maybe. Definitely ambiguous, yeah. There's less a sense of actually caring about what you're going for, what you're aiming towards, uh, hopefully, that you know, you're going to bring your family into. It's just, at least in my case, and I can only speak to me and mine, we just want to make it to the end of the line and be in one piece. Yeah, and I think at that, you know, coming back around to where we where we started, a lot of that comes back to the idea of why. I mean, there are different reasons why people uh, want to be able to own and carry firearms, mm-hmm. and a big one is that you want to be able to just protect your and protect your family, whether you're out and about or whether you're 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 at your house or, or your place of business, and um, and that's that's one of the reasons. Uh, hunting, of course, is mm-hmm. a, a big reason why people want to own firearms. We need to eat, and it's and it's a, a tradition. You know, hunting is, a, and it's also 
you know, most cases, good for the environment. It's mm-hmm. important for uh, for maintaining you know moderate levels or the appropriate levels of, right. of deer. And, mm-hmm. and that would be on my wife's side of the family, and of course on my side, it's always been along the lines of. Uh, it, at least for five to six generations, we've always been in the sheepdog role. Mm-hmm. So it comes down to no matter what happens to me, my family's going home tonight. So what do you do about that? I mean, hey, you know, you're going to take this away. Right. You're going to make sure that I can't protect my family because I can't fit a cop in my holster at the end of the day. You know, for, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm going to be a little smart ass on that, but the fact still remains the police are a reaction force. They are not proactive, they are reactionary. So what are you going to do until they get there? And ultimately, it comes down to people that, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to protect my people, you know, me and mine, whether it's you at work or Mark when I'm visiting or my kids at home. Sure. Or, you know, I was in the price chopper uh, last week and some guy just started losing it, screaming mm-hmm. at this woman. And he You'll see that grabbed again a cart, once a week. Grabbed a cart and, and uh, shoved it at her and. I think there were two homeless folks uh, that uh, I've seen her there since. I haven't seen him there. But, uh, you know, and immediately you start thinking, I mean, I was obviously shoot the guy, but I'm thinking I'm going to help yeah. that woman avoid getting yeah, beaten. Try to get your loved ones out of the way and then yeah, concentrate but, on you know, the right hand. In this case, he stood down immediately, and uh, but uh, obviously somebody was mentally unwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stood down immediately, and uh, but it was a very violent moment. And uh, if it had continued, you know, and that's and that's something that, you know, whether it's somebody you're with or whether it's just another mm-hmm. other person that's there. And how much have you played that out in your head since? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I immediately set down my groceries and, you know, you get ready. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and but then, you know, the, and the third reason for people wanting to own firearms really is just for sport. You're talking about competition shooting. It's mm-hmm. enjoyable. I mean, it was an Olympic sport. I, don't, I think the biathlon is currently out, but maybe it's back in. I don't mm-hmm. know. But they uh, still run rifles in decathlon. There you go. Okay. Decathlon. Yeah. And Plus you, the USPSA, uh, IPSC, almost every shooting competition known to mankind, whether it's televised or otherwise. Which is growing <laughs> rapidly these Big days. Time. Good. I mean, Christ, they're on AMC. You know, you, you've got shooting competitions on regular cable TV now, as opposed yeah. to uh, the Outdoor Channel or Sportsman Life or whatever the hell it was. You know, so it's starting to make more of an impact now, at least in more of a media-friendly way. Mm-hmm. I guess that's probably the best term I can use for it because before uh, it's a gun, we don't want to see it on TV unless it's on SVU or something along those lines. So now that it's actually become part of the, well, I don't know, maybe cultural appropriation, (laughs) you know, there it is. People see it and they go, oh, this is okay. Now that it's televised, now that it's sent out to a broader audience, we can like this. We can like it and not feel bad about ourselves for liking it. So Perception. let's go to the range. Let's Perception. go down to, you know, the firing line. Let's rent a gun mm-hmm. and, you know, see what we can do with this and, you know, feel empowered or at the very least just feel some relief because it ends up being a stress release without actually having to spend $200 an hour on a therapist catch. So when I grew up, I went to camp and uh, it was at Post Pond and Lime, um, Camp sure. Pinnacle, they yeah. called it. And uh, so we grew up. You know, I was, I don't remember how old I was. I was a little kid, first, second, third grade, and learned to shoot a 22 bolt action. That was just part of uh, going to camp. It was just one of the mm-hmm. activities you signed up for, and they had archery. And so I did that every summer when I went there. Um, but how do people who don't have access, and I don't think that that camp's gone, and I don't know what else mm-hmm. is out there anymore, 
but how do people who who don't have maybe don't own firearms themselves but um, uh, how do they get their kids involved in shooting today are there organizations uh, um, that are accessible so I'm the vice president of the Enfield outing club which is over in Enfield New Hampshire it's a small outing club we have a uh, you know, a 90-yard range, very safe, nice berm, uh, protective sound barrier, um, and that's a great place. We have a youth shooting team there. And so anybody can, can yeah, join? Anybody, any, anybody can join the club. Um, it's like $60 a year, unless you're part of um, some pro-gun organization, and you can prove that, then it's, I think, 50 and then it's $30 a year to renew. Um, and then the youth thing is uh, pretty awesome. We've got a team that does really well. They shoot 22s, and they travel all over New Hampshire and shoot competitively. And this is uh, long rifle and pistol? Or? Long rifle only for yeah. the youth team. Okay. Um, the range is open for all types of shooting, with, those, with the exception of aerial targets mm -hmm. and no machine guns. It's an ordinance thing in town yeah. um, that we've decided to, I mean, it, it's not a law, but we've decided that that's what we want to do for the year. We don't want to run full auto. I mean, it's silly anyway. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, it's a small club. Um, not, not a ton of members. Um, we have a meeting once a month. Um, it's a tightly run club, and we're doing really well. It's, it's really good. And, and that's another thing as, as a vice president, something, a role that I'm trying to take on is to get better optics for the club. Right? Mm -hmm. So I'm changing the logo. I'm trying to get it more of a community thing. We're going to do some archery stuff. We're going to do some, you know, have, the, have it open to maybe like Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts to use the club. Um, Sorts of some things like that. Like we've closed it down for firearm shooting Mondays and Tuesday mornings, so it was only archery on those days. Um, we did some with some hiking trips. We're doing a townwide yard sale. If you want to sell stuff, you just bring it to us, and we'll sell it for you. Um, a little lots, more community action. Yeah, a lot of a lot more community involvement. It's so more of an outing club than just a shooting an outing club than just a shooting range. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then every year we do a an older member. Um, his last name was Clough, donated a trust to the club. And every year we get about $4,000 in this trust. And every, I think it's November, it's done. No, 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 maybe it's before the October, something like that. And we have $4,000. We take that money, and he his wishes were to throw a Christmas party hmm. for the kids every year. So we rent the community building in Enfield. We open it up. We go buy $2,000 worth of gifts. All you got to do is show up. We feed you. We give you drinks. We have live music. Um, and you know your kid can pick a gift, and and there's you know some of the kids dance, and there's a Santa there, and so on and so forth, and we do that. So yeah, I mean that's that's one thing. I mean, well, you guys have something to do with uh, live for your die shoot too, right? No, the club doesn't have anything to do. That's a different, I, did, I that's didn't know a, if that was a club thing or not. So I that's another club. So yeah, the Cheshire County Fishing Game okay. Club, which is down near Keene, New Hampshire. That's another type of club. Um, and so yeah, look, I mean, you, you know, locally search for firearms clubs, outing clubs, you know, mm -hmm. shooting ranges, that sort of thing. Um, and if they're not the ones that are doing it, there will be people there that will know. You know what I mean? That's, that's the best way to search. You mentioned the, uh, the club in Keene. They have a long-distance range, too, don't they? Like, yeah. They got 800 meter. 800 meter. That's pretty yeah. substantial. Uh, I'm headed down there. I'm going to start doing a Thursday night shoot there because <laughs> um, I just sold basically 10 guns to build one very, 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 very <laughs> expensive, heavy, long-range precision bolt gun. Six five. And, nope, three oh eight. Ooh. And uh, so I built this thing, and I want to be able to see what I can do. So there's some guys there that know what they're doing, because unless it's a pistol or a, or or some sort of a carbine, I don't really have a clue. Yeah. Um. So I got a, a very big, very fancy scope that I 
don't know what it does. You know what I mean? Like I'm my <laughs> same boat, man. I bought a Ruger Precision Rifle and a beautiful scope to go with it, and uh, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. But it's nice. It's, fun. Yeah. it's a 1,600-yard rifle. Yeah. yeah. So that's Find 1,600 yards to shoot on, you're good. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go down to Cheshire Thursday nights. They're doing a long range. They have a long range thing. It's like 30 bucks a night. You can jump in there, and a bunch of guys can teach nice. you what you're doing. Oh, so it's educational at the same time. Yeah. <clears throat> that's really cool. But 30 bucks a I think so that's like 30 bucks a session. Or even close to that is, yeah. I mean, that's... That's well. Uh, they're not there to instruct you, but they're there to shoot. But they're happy to help. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Inevitably, and you end up with two or three people there that will be willing to help you out. Sure, absolutely. Because the alternative in New Hampshire is the Sig Range, right? Mm-hmm. They do a yeah, long distance. Yeah. And and have you done any classes with them? I've not done any classes with Sig. Yeah. What is their uh, final length as far as distance goes? Sig. Yeah. I don't know. It's long. Uh, pistol range has been done numerous times. Uh, rifle, not so much. So I don't know if they go beyond a thousand or yeah, it's beyond a thousand. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I know somebody who actually wants to get into that. And they have like to they have, be able they to have snipers from around the country coming to train us. So it's over a thousand. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. One of the kids that I used to coach in the cross went to sniper school about a year ago, two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, for the army, and uh, and did well. So I was going to bribe him to go out with me and just show me the basics. Is that a betting? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, because yeah. yep. yeah. I was down there. We, yes. my my company sponsored the best ranger competition, mm-hmm. and we've done that for the last couple of years. And and last year I went down to Benning, spent a week there, and Benning sure. is unique. Yeah, <laughs> it was, uh, got totally lost inside that base. It's monster. <laughs> yeah, I've never been to Benning. I uh, went to others, but never that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember driving by and seeing the sniper school sign. I was like, I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that looks like the fun place. To and the next there. step up from that is uh, JFK Spec War at Bragg. Mm-hmm. Once you check into that, you don't check out. Yeah. You know, that's just, that is a whole different animal. Yeah. That's like Jack Silva. Yeah. So you mentioned um, a few minutes ago about uh, the NRA or other uh, pro yeah. gun rights groups. So if somebody is, would, someone who would have trouble signing up for membership at the NRA because mm-hmm. of politics and all of that. What other groups are out there that you know of that uh, are available to people to I think it's the New Hampshire Gun Rights Coalition, I think. I'm, I'm horrible at remembering things. Yeah. Um, I think it's the New Hampshire Gun Rights Coalition, something like that, um, which is a New Hampshire-based one. And then there's a couple other national ones. you remember, John? Uh, one of them is GOA. GOA, that's it. Gun Owners of America. Okay. Yep. GOA, that's another. That's, I think, probably the number two within my circle of, of gun dudes, which is probably a thousand strong, you hear GOA. There's another one out of either Detroit or Chicago. It's called Pink Pistols. Oh, and yeah. They deal primarily with females and alternative lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jeff Bluvman, who is a buddy, he is a big shooter, and he is a, he's a big part of the, the Pink Pistols and does gets a lot very involved with them. Um, another one is the... well. Um, Tatiana Wetlock pushes it. Um, I'm not good at this. Remembering names. Um, no, is it Wetlock? Uh, Girl in a Gun. Yes. Which is a all female type of organization. Um, not really a political thing like that, but it's it's a groups mm-hmm. you know to be involved in that are that are helpful. Yeah, I can get information on all yeah. sorts of different things. Absolutely. And I'm sure they advocate in certain areas. 100. Yeah. And uh, you also talked about concealed carry uh, insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and you alluded to why that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, how many different companies have you had experience with? I have only ever dealt, dealt with one. 
Um, I've heard a lot about a lot of them, and I know that there's, I hear some are more popular than others. Um, the NRA pushed one really hard last year called the NRA Carry Guard. That's one. Yeah, that one went out big time. Yeah. That was all over the It news. was marketed really well, but I don't think it was bought very much. Like, I'm sure they sold a lot, but I don't think it's as big as, like, um, as some of the others. Um, so, um, uh, man, uh, there's one based out of the West Coast. It's a husband and wife team. They actually do instruction and insurance uh, and the whole legal background. I'm just I'm trying to remember the names. And so the purpose of the concealed carry insurance for folks, because once again, constitutional carry in New Hampshire, I mean, all sorts of people. I I remember one, one of the guys that worked for us, uh, somebody that I never would have in any way felt comfortable <laughs> being around, mm-hmm. uh, ran right out and bought a pistol because people looked at him funny when he was walking to work. And, uh, you know, that just opened a whole bunch of different uh, cans of worms in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, but for, for somebody out there that, um, that has no training, that has no background, uh, that runs out and buys a pistol, can, do you think they can just sign up for these yes. concealed carry? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, really. yeah. Well, as long as they're legal, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, everybody's it, it, legal in New Hampshire unless you have a misdemeanor well, that's it, domestic it, or a felony. Exactly. And if you don't have anything that shows up there... And, you know, there's still the mental health thing to worry about as well right now because we haven't quite regulated that. Yeah. Uh, anybody who wants to sign up for training can as long as they can afford it and they can prove that they are legal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same with gun sites, uh, Clint Smith, ICE, uh, Ignatius Piazza, all of them. You know, You're talking about training. Yeah, as yeah. far as training institutes where you can actually go and learn how to be a better shooter, how to actually be not just a shooter but... I guess for the better way of putting it, maybe a sheepdog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about people that are going to be carrying a gun on a regular basis. If you weren't going to, you wouldn't get involved in this. I just feel bad for people that go out and do this and have no idea. I mean, most of one of the nice things, at least about getting your New Hampshire carry permit, is that there's a little bit of education that goes along with it. Like, don't go into a post office or a oh, federal yeah. building. You know, most no schools, don't. no post offices, no but, federal buildings, no. Um, but most people, no city buildings. But a lot of these folks, I'll, I'll go back to this one young individual that worked for us that ran out and bought a revolver to shove in his pocket so he could walk to work, and if people looked at him funny, he would feel safer. Uh, I mean, there's no way that this kid. In the upper valley. Oh, yeah. He, he wasn't <laughs> violating a law here and there. I mean, just, just no way. I mean, mm-hmm. He had no concept of what he was doing. Mm-hmm. He went out, bought a revolver, put it in his pocket, and walked to work. And at least when you get it, when, when you were required to have that carry permit, there was an educational sheet that went right. along with it. Whether you read it or not was up to you. But, um, but you know, I do agree that I think that, you know, some classes, and that's where people get very uh, um, concerned about violating Second Amendment rights, mm. but some classes that can go along with either purchasing a firearm or carrying a firearm. Mm. I think Something. some of it comes down to uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the whole thing I have with open carry. Well, I think that's true with a lot. Well, open carry is a whole other can of worms. The first thing I think about... But it about, still gives you the same basic principle. You know, if you can, should you? Maybe not. Yeah, I don't... Th- <laughs> so the first time I saw somebody open carrying in Walmart, the first thing goes it's to my mind... It's always Walmart. <laughs> you know, but the first thing that went through my mind is, I wonder if I could get that gun out of that guy's holster faster than he could. I'm not going to do Probably. it. I mean, that's a crime in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But that's the first thing that I'm looking at going, ooh, I could grab that. You know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of open carry. Right. And, uh, but the sad thing places. is that's like the test. It's like, oh, I just got my gun, and I'm legal. I'm going to go carry. 
I'm going to Walmart. Right. <laughs> and inevitably, you see five or six people walking around with Rugers and Glocks and shit like that. And yeah. Everybody's looking at him like, are you out of your freaking mind? Why do you need that in Walmart in Claremont mm -hmm. or Lebanon? Right. What is the point? Do you expect to be attacked by a herd of... I don't know, well, Buffalo? But your argument that you're making also goes back to people who argue against the whole concept of either gun ownership or, you know, uh, carry permit at all. And then that comes right. back to concealed means concealed. Right. If you have it out in the open, you're a target. Yeah. Period. You want to carry it, that's fine. Well, thanks, Why do you want to advertise to everybody? Thanks to Mark's company, nobody ever knows if I'm carrying or not. So. <laughs> and there you go, because he makes quality product. Point. That's right. The... Um, the carry insurance is also like really great in uh, not only the education aspect of it, but if you were to ever use your weapon, you know, like, you know, the five, $500,000 retainers are pretty common. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you literally from the scene, it says right on the back of your card to call this 800 number attorney standing by essentially. Yeah. Um, if you were to ever use your weapon in um, USCAA, US. That's the one I was trying to find. USCAA, out about. Yeah, is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, USCAA. Yeah. Uh, USCCA. CCA, yeah, Concealed Carry of America, yeah. Um, that That's kind of the best one. That's the one I remember. I've been, our holsters have been in their magazine, and I can't remember their acronym right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a good idea. It's, but I, I hands down, and, it, and it's very reasonable. I mean, really, when you consider what you're getting for it, it's very reasonable. Yeah. And the people who actually founded that are uh, instructors out on the Northwest Coast, which was why it kept kicking back into my head on them. Like, okay, I know this, I know this, I know mm. this. What do you think of uh, proposed ideas like uh, a seven-day waiting period or a 14-day waiting period when somebody goes to buy a firearm? I don't think it's going to change anything. Do you think there are a lot of, I mean, it's none of us have the data, I guess, but impulse buys that then go out and commit a crime the same day or the same I way? think there are probably some, but I think that if they're impulsive enough to go buy a gun and go do it, they're impulsive enough to steal a gun and go do it. They're impulsive enough to, you know, zip tie a freaking road flare to a propane tank and throw it in a building. You know what I mean? Like, they're impulsive. They're they're not being rational. They will rent a Home Depot truck. They will do a pressure, do something, a hammer, a knife. Drive a car into someone. It's not a tool. You know, Actually, if I remember problem. correctly, the last couple instances of people doing the the immediate run to get a gun to be able to do something, they ended up going out to the range on property and killing themselves. Hmm. So it wasn't a matter of going out and taking someone else. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, obviously, a lot of the gun deaths that occur uh, are suicide. suicide. Yeah. That's a big part of uh, concern. But, you know, hey, yeah, I'm going to go down to the range. I'm going to test this out. Hey, good deal. Oh, I see what you're saying. And, you know, accidental. they're at the range. No, it's it's not accidental. Mm. They go down there for a reason. Mm. There have been at least three in the last year alone where they've gone specifically to commit suicide at the range. So what would a five- to seven-day waiting period have really done for them? Would they have found something else to do? Probably. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you don't know, I guess, is the yeah, answer. You can't second-guess it. That's armchair quarterbacking. Mm -hmm. So what is out there with your experience? And, and I'm sure you've, you must have worked with people over the years in various capacities where it made you nervous to work with somebody based on their lack of experience or what you witnessed with how they handle a firearm, um, just their demeanor. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you handle that when you're in that situation? Um, well, it depends on where the situation is. If I'm at the range, and it's not my range, like I'm the vice president of the club, so if there's something unsafe at my range, like I just shut it down quickly, yeah. promptly, loudly, 
and let them know that what they're doing is 100% not okay and they need to be smarter than that, you know. And I do it in a in a pleasant way but a strong way. Um, if that can really be done. I'm just loud, you know, more than anything. Like, stop what you're doing. Put the gun down on the ground, you know, as I'm stepping out of the yeah. way. Downrange, downrange. Um, so, you know, that's that's the biggest thing. But being being vocal and being loud and being prominent, it, it sticks. You know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. you remember, like, whoa, whoa, I did something bad. You know, it's like yelling at a dog. You know, if you say, hey, dog, it's not really going to do anything. But you say... Hey, dog. You know what I mean? It's gonna. They're gonna Negative start reinforcement, but it still works. Sure, they're, you're gonna get their attention immediately. You're demanding it, and I mean that's the best thing. But then, as soon as everything is safe, then you instruct them what they're not doing right. You know what I mean? And then sometimes it's an a hole that doesn't want any instruction because they know better than you. And then I just leave. Yeah. You know, unless it's my range, and then I ask them like, to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, being around somebody that's not safe is not smart ever. You know what I mean? So. So if you're confident enough to handle the situation, I, I'm a chief range safety officer, you know, as well. I took that course so I could handle these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was also a good thing to be when I'm the vice president of a shooting mm-hmm. club that does shooting, you know. So I took that course a couple of years ago. I think good serve, good for four or six years, something like that. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, stop everything. Hands off guns. Let's talk yeah. about what the problem is. Yeah, if you're in instruct. control, that's one of, maybe one of the problems with going to free ranges uh, or you know where membership really isn't isn't monitored. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, there was a little one up in rural Vermont that I, I think it was like 14 bucks a year, mm-hmm. and we'd go shoot there, and it was nice. It was you know maintained by a club, mm-hmm. but uh, you know there was one instance where some kids came out on the range and they had a an AR and an AK, mm-hmm. and they're just blasting away, mm-hmm. and you start to feel very. Unsafe. Unsafe, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, another time at the uh, the uh, Vermont State Range in uh, mm-hmm. Heartland, mm-hmm. which is a nice range with a range safety officer there, and um, where I just really just had a really uncomfortable feeling, just that where your uh, amygdala is just sort of like mm-hmm. <laughs> something's not right. And uh, when in doubt, that's tough. Yeah, and that's it. I guess you just leave. Leave. That's the smart thing. I've left that Heartland Range. I can't even tell you how many times. Really? Yeah. Especially before they did all the work to it. I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever went there before, but it yeah. used to be like a free-for-all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went down there once, and I was like, hey, would you keep that shotgun pointing in a safe direction, please? And the next thing I know, the guy's huh? turning around. Yeah, the guy's turning around again, you know. Finger on the in the trigger guard. And he's turning around, waving everybody, including his children, who are in the back in the sand without a ear pro on. You know what I mean? It's just like a whole sorts of complete soup sandwich. You know, this place is a mess, and I can't even tell you how many times I left that place. Yeah. Um, and then there's been classes, you know, like where bang, 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 they're shooting and they have a malfunction. I saw a guy tip up and look down his throat. <laughs> yeah. And That's I'm a like, Darwin at work right to happen. What are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? You know. You were trying to advance yourself, and I appreciate that, but you need to know better than to ever look down a barrel of a loaded firearm. Like, Unfortunately, it comes down to training at that point, and then you have to go, okay, one, you have an extra chromosome, and I don't know how you got it, but two, you need a trainer to realize that's that really a training tap issue. rack bang. Yeah, no, it's really a training issue because that guy has gone on to be a very prominent, very active, competitive shooter mm-hmm. and doing a very good job. This was his first class ever. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a wow. training issue. You know what I mean? And... You know, we did, I'm not going to say any names, but we <laughs> did a very large holster contract for a very large police department, over I 600 officers, that. 600 officers, <laughs> and their duty weapon had a flashlight on it, and they were supposed to carry their duty weapon off duty if they were going to carry, mm-hmm. and this officer 
didn't have an off-duty holster without a weapon light. So he had to take his weapon light off. So in the locker room, he's takes his gun out of his holster. He's taking his uh, flashlight off the hand of his gun and Kaboom. you know, shot popped right into his locker. Shot a forty out of his cig right into his <laughs> locker. And that police department, that agency, rather than train their staff, decided to it made more sense to buy $60,000 worth of off-duty holsters for other agency. Jesus Christ. Rather than teach them to drop the mag, kick out around, then take your flashlight off, and then you can put it in your own holster. They bought them on their holsters. Hmm. Wasn't complaining. You got all the business. Great contract for you. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And they still, you know, they're throwing me 100 a year and 100 there, so it's been, it's been wonderful. But it was a training issue. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. When you uh, worked at the gun shop, mm-hmm. How many? How often was it where somebody would come in to buy a firearm where you just did not have a good feeling about it? Did that ever occur? Yes. And what, what did you do? Did you sell? Would you sell a firearm? It's up to me. Yeah. It's up to me as it's up to me as a salesperson to sell you the gun or not sell you the gun. If I'm not comfortable, I'm not going to sell it to you. And I'm not. And it wasn't just not comfortable because you're not safe. Like there was a little lady, I think she's 78 years old, 80 years old, something like that. She was not feeling comfortable. Mm-hmm. She wanted a gun. She wanted to purchase herself. I was like, ma'am, I don't think this is going to help you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like... It's you, like the one that comes in for the Desert Eagle. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't necessarily think that this is going to help you feel any safer. Yeah. And, you know, after talking to that conversation with her, she's like, I appreciate that. I think you're right. You know, and, and a lot of it's just educate them a little bit, give them a taste of what they're going to be dealing with, and they'll learn a lot. But then there was also times when people just act sketchy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then there was often times where they fill out the 4473 and they get themselves to certain questions and they're like, I got to get my ID. And then you never see them again. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I have to answer this this way or I have to lie. This isn't going to work for me. I'm out of here. So, but then, well, like I said, the sketchy I ones, the sketchy ones, I can just say no. Like, I'm yeah. not comfortable selling this to you. So with, with all of your experience and seeing the things that have gone on, um, I think the number one cause for people that have an interest in any form of gun control or gun regulation uh, is that they want to, ideally, it, it comes, the, the most obvious thing is school shootings. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you think would be worthwhile discussing that would help to limit uh, or, I mean, I don't think you can prevent, but to 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 make it more difficult for people to access those farm and mm-hmm. is it uh, is there a minimum age that people should have is there I mean how how do you address it how do you how do we move forward and, and make an impact I don't think that the gun is the issue that needs to be addressed I think there's other protocols and yep. other things that need to be issued you know and other ideas I have a lot of ideas we've talked about a lot on my podcast like you know how about a few less iPads and we hire a veteran to stand at a school in a yep. polo with a badge on the chest and a, and a secured holster on his hip. Greeting Have properly trained SROs on property. Um, you know, and I, I understand that not all schools are warranted to that, but there, there should be a very valid lockdown procedure. There's no reason the front mm-hmm. door needs to be opening for mm-hmm. anybody unless they check in properly. You got a duffel bag, you're not coming in, period. You know what I mean? Like, the, you need to have a reason to come into the school. You know, and, and you know, I think that there needs to be focus on things other than the gun because yeah. I just don't think that that's and I, and I get that I'm biased and I get that I'm a very pro-gun guy but common it, sense on daily activity versus the gun itself you show up at a school is there a reason you should be there you know uh, the Claremont schools are a great example of that 
You show up, you have to hit the button automatically, and they check you out on the camera. If you have anything in your hands, they're going to ask you what you want. Other than that, it's like, okay, come on in. Yeah, our schools yeah. Are, the, are similar. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're coming to get your kid. Uh-huh. Good. But is the gun part of the equation, or it should be totally hands-off? I don't think that there's anything that you can do legislatively to change any of those shootings. And, and I think that, that then the logic for a lot of people then goes to that's why we need to ban either assault mm-hmm. weapons or, as you know, that are framed as assault weapons or semi-automatics or... I mean, there are many, many people out there that would mm-hmm. be just happy to ban all guns. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's where, you know, you, you run into all of these then different problems, even in, in having a discussion with somebody, um, that is, it's either all or nothing in that case. Mm-hmm. Well, good example, Sandy Hook. They were talking about assault weapons. The AR was left in the vehicle. He went in with a SIG 226 and a Glock 17. Oh, yeah, is that, I have no idea. Yeah, that? he didn't go in with a rifle. Hmm. He went in with his mother's pistols. The rifle stayed in the car. But then you come back to the same, the same you know. But, the, yeah, then it comes down to, you know, high cap mags, and, or as you know, most of us still refer to them, standard capacity mags, because that's what they were created as. Right. Um, but that's where you get people that say, well, if the you have eight you rounds do... or 15 rounds, if, you, if you're going to shoot somebody, you're going to shoot somebody. It's, mm-hmm. That's how it is. If you want to kill somebody bad enough and you are willing to take the hit, you're going to do it. That's just a fact of life. You know, uh, they've proved it with assassination attempts over the years. If you want someone dead bad enough and you're willing to die for your cause, guess what? They're yeah. going to go. Uh, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, everybody knows the name Dylan Klebold. I mean, at least oh, our yeah. age or, or, you know, Columbine. younger. Right. And his mother did a... Uh, a TED Talk. I don't know if you've watched that. Uh-huh. It was powerful, man. But the, she had no idea. She had no idea. And there was nothing, but there was nothing that, that Kids she... Kids keep so much shit bottled up these days with their iPads and iPods and iPhones uh-huh. and everything else. They don't talk to us anymore unless we actually instigate the conversation. You know, I'm having issues with that at home myself. But as long as you keep them in the loop, so to speak... At least you have an idea of what's going on. And if you, I don't know, just push them, push them to be a part of the family instead of being part of this electronic culture. You know, and I, I hate to throw that down because I love technology for what it is. It's definitely helped us out. But it has also separated us. You know, for everything that is supposed to connect us, we are being separated further and further every time someone gets online. We need to drop that stuff and actually start connecting as people again. Well, what you're talking about is connection as a really Con- as well, a connection as a human being, solution. as opposed to just you know, oh well, blah 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 blah. You know, I can type this out, and next thing you know, somebody hears what I say and take it their own way and decide to go out and waste a school. You know, I'm angry, so somebody else can take that as a mission statement. So uh, oftentimes you'll hear, you know, the answer to a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And mm-hmm. a lot of times that's true. Uh-huh. And I think that there's a lot of publicity out there that that never happens. But that's not true it's not either at all. True. There's yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. incidents. There's so many instances where these shootings have happened. And if you look at them, the first thing that stops them is resistance. Mm-hmm. And whether they shoot themselves or they just disarm and they run. Right? And And, I mean, if you look it up, it's... Very frequent. They yeah. either shoot themselves or they disarm and run. Very rarely is law enforcement taking them out. Yeah. Most times they're taking themselves out or they're just trying to just 
just or they take surrender. Off. More often than not, as a victim, if you run, you're a target. If you stand down, you're not. Hmm. Um, so in in a sense, I can almost understand. You know, so let's let's keep rocks in the classroom so we can hit them with them. Parkland. It's yeah. something. As soon as they saw the police presence, I mean, granted there was one cop running around outside doing nothing. Mm. Yeah. Um, being a 100% complete coward in mm-hmm. my book. Um, I think about it, it just frustrates me. You know what I mean? Like what the difference three minutes makes. You know what I mean? It's, it's a huge deal. Um, but once he saw police arrive, he ditched his guns, took off, and they what, found him in a subway or McDonald's. Yeah, it was off property. I yeah, remember that. He was off property, yeah. just wandering into McDonald's. It's like, you know, just like that's that's their MO. They, they're not there for resistance. They're there, there to create as much chaos as possible. Uh, as they're as trying possible. to make some kind of statement. We're just not sure what that statement is until after the incident is done. And sometimes we'll never figure out exactly what that statement is supposed to be other than, hey, notice me. And it's sad to say that that's what it takes for people to actually notice some of these people who are essentially going through life as phantoms or ghosts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you agree. Know, I, saw, I think that's a big part of it. I saw a ton of kids like that in my graduating class. Mm-hmm. But they didn't turn around and start wasting people. The fact still remains that if you can get someone to notice you, even the most minor, insignificant little detail about you, it might stop something like that. So, you know, don't ignore the kids. Jesus. That's one of the biggest problems I have right now. You know, great example. With Paulie and everybody else, you know, I tease them a lot. But, God, I love them to death. I'd, I'd go to the ends of the earth for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think inclusion, you know, that, that's a big part of it. And, of course, uh, you know, we're talking broader scale here. But, mm-hmm. um Everybody is so isolated and compartmentalized these days into and, their electronics. Yeah, that's the idea. You know, yeah. For what's supposed to bring us together, it's driving us further apart. Yeah, there's a lot of great benefits. And, of course, that's, you know, it's uh, very cliche even to talk about it nowadays. But it's true. I mean, it's just uh, there's, um, there are so many benefits to it. But, I mean, there, we see this all the time in our business in, in the restaurant. Just mm-hmm. kids just are completely obsessed. obsessed and, and the babysitting occurs from the moment they sit down at the table, they're handed an iPad or an iPod or whatever the heck, mm-hmm. I whatever, and the kid is lost in. And that's um, just customers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know, and the the adults will carry on their conversation or, or not, mm-hmm. or they'll be on their phones too. But their kids are oftentimes. Uh, this really lost. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's either that or have them running around the restaurant screaming. So oh no, not that. The veteran at the door—that's a great uh-huh. thing that's been talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some places have allowed teachers to carry firearms. Um, and, of course, you know, there's always a, uh, an outcry about that. But at the same time, if I was a teacher, I sure as hell would, <laughs> whether they look me or at not. At least take the training. And uh, so any other things that well, are Well, I there? mean, in the teacher thing, cause when you think about it, and I, we've talked about this on, on my show as well, it's like teachers don't make a lot of money. They're there for the kids. Mm-hmm. They love those kids. You know what I mean? They, they may not love every single one of them right. the same, but they are there for the greater good, right? They're there for the children. And you can't tell me that the majority of teachers wouldn't go into mama bear mode in that instance if they could, and they were and they were trained, and they knew what they were doing, and they knew how to protect, and they felt confident with it. They may not be gun people. They may not go shooting on mm-hmm. the weekend. But what would they do to protect those children? 
anything. I they think you'd be to. surprised. Oh yeah, I agree. I think that uh, that that's been witnessed already, and mm-hmm. and uh, you see teachers uh, doing all sorts of heroic mm-hmm. actions. They're not doing it for the money. No, you know what I mean. They're yeah. doing it for the children. If they were doing it for money, they wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, other ideas. I mean, I also had another idea. Maybe not a veteran, but um, you know, there's recruiting offices everywhere. Mm-hmm. So stick a guy in. Contractors, yeah, essentially. No, he's there working. Yeah, you know, he's like talking about a military recruiter. Or, yeah, yeah, stick a recruiter at the front door. He's talking to the kids on the way in, introducing himself, but he's also resistance yeah. without saying a word. You know what I mean? He is. Everybody knows he's trained. You know what I mean? Everybody knows that this, this man yeah. could have been to war for all I know. He could have been in Iraq. He could have been, you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. He's been trained, and everybody knows it. And you know. They leave the office. They're there in the morning. I think that's the biggest time. I think it, 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 when school's coming in, when school's mm-hmm. going out, I think that's the biggest time. Other than that, school should be locked down. There should be no excuses. Yeah. And, and if there's a lockdown failure, it's the school's problem that they need mm-hmm. to figure out. You know, it's not, there's nothing you can say if, if school's not safe. You know what I mean? Like anybody walk in anytime, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, there was a time for that. That and time has passed. Yeah. Yeah, we passed along with the time when we could actually keep shotguns in our trucks when we pulled into the parking lot. My mom mom brought shotguns to school on the bus. Yeah. For ski shooting in gym. Back when the kids could actually hunt after they got out of school. Mm -hmm. Try doing that now. Yeah, I brought a pistol into uh, acting class with blanks in it and uh, fired it uh, with the teacher not knowing I was going to do that and still (laughs) got to go to my next class afterwards <laughs> yeah try that now you're proned out and you've got an ar in the back of your head yeah. well something would happen for sure i don't know if i'd be uh in school there any longer but uh yeah that was a whole other story that was a good uh, good experience he still comes in to eat at the restaurant Drama club. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah so that's uh that's i think the biggest push for legislation is the publicity around school shootings and obviously uh you know it's it's horrific uh and of course the las vegas incident where uh-huh. You have somebody that's what made the bump stock ban happen was that mm-hmm. one single incident, and you know whether you support the ban or not, or I mean, the, the tool itself was a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, certainly showed that the government is willing to act in certain circumstances, and I think that the odds are that the federal government's going to lean left with the next election, and whether mm-hmm. Trump is reelected or not, um, there certainly is a huge left. You know, contingent on Capitol Hill, and I think that's going to continue to grow more than likely. And if you have a Democratic president and a Democratic Congress and Democratic Senate, uh, we're going to see gun legislation in those first big two time. years. And uh, just like they did with um, uh, health care, that was the big push in the first two years of the Obama administration. Uh-huh. I think gun legislation is going to be the big one. You know, and that's going to, you know, obviously that you'll see a assault weapons ban. Um, and, and who knows what else could be out there. you got to wonder what's going to happen, though. I mean, is it going to be stuff that's new? Is it going to be grandfathered? Is it going to be all-encompassing? You know, these are people that want to make sure that nobody has any access to things like this. Yeah. So is it going to be, you know, the average guy on the street who maybe had something 20 years ago and might still have it? Or is it going to be anybody that's trying to buy something tomorrow? And largely you know, that was the whole thing with the original AWB. And that wouldn't affect you very much in your business, though, just mm-hmm. on a personal. No, I mean, I mean, the more li- the more scares and the more uh, my my second busiest state that we ship to. Yeah, Illinois. Wow, what a surprise! 
Massachusetts number three. Yeah. <laughs> what a very hard state to carry Jesus. in. And everything is illegal in Mass. Hmm. But it's a one-day class, isn't it, in Mass, to get the permit? Is it um, one or two? I think it's I think it's one um, for res mass res. I think it's a one. Out of state is two, I believe. No, I Ever. think out of state it's only one. Is it? Yeah. Um, it used to be two. But it's annual. It's a hundred bucks. You have to write a letter as to why you need it mm-hmm. and why you deserve it, and it's at will. They can just cool. say no. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm certified to get it. Not willing to take that t- sort of time or spend that kind of money if to go spend money in the Commonwealth. <laughs> you know, I will go elsewhere. Yeah, you termed it in your podcast that we're landlocked. I mean, you've got Maine, yeah, Vermont, I'm surrounded by no ghosts. Yeah, mm-hmm. Maine, Vermont, we're good. Uh, but then New York, Massachusetts, and then Vermont, not so much anymore. Really, what's changed well, there? Well, I carry a Glock 17. So I, I'm I not that familiar with their uh, uh, changes. So the magazine restriction in the state of Vermont is now 10 rounds in a rifle, 15 rounds in a pistol. Mm-hmm. The pistol I carry carries 17. Can you load seven? Can you load fifteen yep. in, and then you're, you're the, legal. the magazine is illegal, not the yeah. magazine is. Okay. So even, and I went, I went all the way to the to the office, and I called them, and I was just like, "Here's the deal." I said, "I have a federal firearms license. I'm permitted in 38 states." I said, "I have property in northern New Hampshire. I drive into Vermont, up 91, back into New Hampshire. Can I possess those magazines as an out-of-state resident?" No. Through the state. There's a hard no. Hmm. Like, the only way is by putting them out of my reach. So they need to be in the bed of my truck. Okay. Can't be accessed from the passenger compartment. They should probably be unloaded, too. Um, I don't know that that's part of it, but either way. My carry gun is going to do me zero good mm-hmm. in the bed of my truck, mm-hmm. right? Like it. So I trained with Vermont State Police, a couple guys from Vermont State Police, every single year in northern Vermont in the summer. We train carbine. We train pistol. My carbine is not legal. My pistol is not legal. <laughs> and I'm training with law enforcement. You know, I'm like, what? It's ridiculous because at the end of the day, if you take a guy like me and you give me three mags with 10 in them or you give me one mag with 30 in them and you give me three targets and you time me, it's going to be the difference of about a second mm-hmm. for me to do two reloads in the middle of all of that. What, what are you saving? You know, so I, then the advocate on the other side would say, so why not just downscale and go to 10-round magazines and a 15 in your pistol if you're that efficient? That's, that's the, other, you know, the other side. Because I have to carry more magazines. Mm-hmm. Right, and concealing concealment's already a challenging enough. What do mm-hmm. I want to carry three mags for? Not yeah. to mention extra weight. Ounces equal pounds. You yeah. remember? Well, yeah, but uh, <laughs> but I mean, that that would be the uh, you know the devil's advocate argument on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. sure, but still, what are we get, what are we saving? Yeah, you're saving two rounds. Right. What's the? I mean, when you go back now to look at the reality of the situation, what's the real difference between a 15 round magazine? And well, except my gun doesn't have 15 rounds. No, but my point yeah. is to legislate that. To legislate mm-hmm. 15 rounds is okay, but 17 is not. It makes right. no sense. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I guess you got to draw the line somewhere, sure. is, is their argument. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how many magazines are out there that are more than 17? Are there a lot of pistols with a larger than 17 Tons. rounds? Really? Yeah. And then, so, and, you know, and another thing that they did is all of the gun shops in the state of Vermont that had, I mean, I know of one who's a friend of mine, he had over 300 guns. That had high cap magazines in them 
now considered a high cap in the state of Vermont, mm-hmm. you can't sell them anymore. Because <laughs> they all came with over 15 rounds. So what's he going to do? He already owns the guns, but he can't sell them. He can't sell them. He can sell it without a mag. Who wants to buy a brand new gun without a magazine? Right. Yeah. So, or he has to buy mags that are low cap to go in the mag, to go in the gun. You know what I mean? They did that to all the businesses in Vermont. Yeah. But it's like if you New own, York with the but, if you, but if you own them prior to the law, you're okay. But as a prove it dealer, he can't. Yeah. <laughs> prove it. Right. How do you know when I got my mag? There's no serial number in a mag. Oh, so the magazine itself, you're saying? Yeah. If it was owned prior. Hmm. Yeah. It's grandfathered. Yeah. Anything prior to the but not for non-residents assault weapons uh, ban only for residents. So that's where I, that's where mags. I have a problem is yeah. I can't go through there because I'm not a resident. But if you're a resident and you own that Glock 17 mag that holds 17 rounds prior to the ban, you're good to go. Well, that whole grandfathering idea is stupid, stupid. anyway. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The whole law is ridiculous. It was it was it was a pacifier for the people that were pushing sure. him. He's a stopgap measure. Let's not forget he's a Republican. Yeah, right. Signed it. Yeah, yeah. No, one of our uh, coworkers uh, was very upset about that. Uh, that it's very frustrating for me, and and more than anything, just to see like the business, like my buddy of business, that's. It's like this is this is Vermont. Like, we don't have gun laws. We've never had gun laws. The only gun laws in the state of Vermont prior to this was no loaded um, rifles in a truck, mm-hmm. and there was no silencers and for a long time. Don't shoot um, your wife. Well, that's not a gun law. That's a murder law, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then and Tomatoes those, those gun laws, and you know, and the no loaded rifle in a truck is it's a fish and game violation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's a hunting issue. They don't want you jacking deer out of your truck. Right. Get it? Um, but yeah, I mean. Silly. Yeah, you don't see a whole lot of uh, rifle racks in the back windows of trucks anymore. We used my friend and I. Any in years. My friend and I used to sit up on top of uh, the Hanover Inn in -hmm. the winter and throw snowballs at cars. That was Mm -hmm. our pastime. But we had one rule. Yeah, don't throw at a gun rack. That's right. If there's a gun (laughs) rack in the rear window, you do not throw that snowball at that vehicle. And it's skeet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a good rule. Yeah, worked out okay. Um, So. uh, so what are you up to next? What do you got uh, planned? You said you're traveling out west. This is all uh, yep. business related? All business, yep. So I got uh, three of my top customers in Denver, and then there is a big show with one of my other top customers in, in Washington, in Seattle. Um, so the Denver trip, I got three customers. Quick visit there. I landed Monday, leave Tuesday type of thing, three meetings, and then I'm in Seattle for the rest of the week. And while I'm in Seattle, I've got this big show, but then I'm also going to do some site visits, some some factories, so Aero Precision and nice. then a company called Zevtech. <laughs> tour both of those places with those guys. And what does that do for you for your business? Well, um, one thing that we haven't spoken about is I have a full time gig as well as owning the holster company as of about 19 months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to work with a company um, that is one of the largest wholesale distributors of firearms and sporting outdoor stuff accessories in the country. Mm-hmm. I'm a national sales rep for them. Um, so I have 176 accounts across the country that I sell to on a regular basis. So what we basically sell is if you walk into a Bass Pro and a Cabela's, you subtract everything that is clothing or has sizes. So like small, mediums, large, not sizes like calibers, but mm-hmm. um, everything else we sell. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what this travel is all about. And gotcha. I did that about 18 months ago, 19 months ago, I think now. Um, and it wasn't something that I needed to do. It was just a really great opportunity for a super amazing company. And um, I met them by trying to sell them holsters. <laughs> I wanted them to buy my holsters to sell. And it's like, we're not going to do those, but maybe you should apply for a job. Yeah. Because we like you. So. And you're enjoying that gig? I absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's really great. Get to talk guns and gear all day with people all across the country and do a little bit of travel here and there, which is, it gets a little challenging sometimes. But, uh, yeah, it kept me in the industry, and this is what I, you know, the industry is what I love, and it's a bunch of really, really great people that I work with um, for amazing, super amazing company that treats me really well. And they totally understand I have my own business, and they're okay with it as long as I keep performing. And uh, very supportive. And Yeah, yeah it sounds like a good gig. Yeah. Um, and John, what are you uh, up to these days? What do you got next? Uh, getting ready to come back to work tomorrow and sling some booze. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you building these days? You got any projects going on? Uh, nothing currently. I think I'm actually going to start downsizing. Yeah. Uh, with a purpose in mind? or uh, Well, you know, finances and everything else with the, uh, the passing of my mother-in-law, we want to make sure we keep the house. That's kind of a key thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, ultimately, I figure when it boils down to it, I only have two hands. So common sense is dictating. Yeah. And are you doing any shooting competitions at all these days? or At the moment, I am not, uh, although God knows I have thought about getting back into it. Yeah. Uh, at the very least, maybe uh, uh, CDP or something along those lines for uh, IPSC, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. And Mark, are you doing uh, competitions on a regular basis? or No, nothing? I don't shoot competitively much. Oh, okay. I train a lot. Like if, if, if I'm, so my thing is like I enjoy shooting. But I just want to be very proficient, very safe, um, and that's my biggest thing. So the competition thing, I think it's fun. I just don't have the time. You know what I mean? I essentially got two jobs. I've got two kids and a wife, and uh, my time for range time, I need to keep for making sure that I'm. I went to the range yesterday. Out of it. <laughs> and I talked about it on my podcast. When I go to the range, I don't. I, I I'm very strict about going with a purpose. Mm-hmm. I am going to work on this today, mm-hmm. and I stick to that. And I that's how I. Trying to stay sharp because I feel like if I'm if I'm going to be the guy carrying a gun, I owe it to me as well as everybody else to be responsible enough for it to right. to really know where every bullet's going. And you have two young kids. Uh, one's too young to shoot, and the other is. Yeah, I have uh, 17 months and 12. And 12, and so 12 year old is involved. <clears throat> yep, she shoots. Yeah. She does really well. She <laughs> shoots 22 better groups than me sometimes, which is pretty surprising. <laughs> and well, John? F- females are always easier to teach because they actually listen to the instructor. Yeah. You know, I've got an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. The 13 has wife. no interest whatsoever mm-hmm. in shooting. Uh, the wife is pretty much, well, you know, mama bear. I'll learn what I have to to be able to take care of it. But the mini-me, that's a different animal entirely. <laughs> She's already talked about joining the service. She wants to go into... Uh, Distant exotic lands and meet exciting, unusual people, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's my kid. Yep. It is what it is. And if people want to find your business online? Yeah, they can go to scoredawaycustoms.com. And okay. if you want to email me and talk about anything or have any questions, you can get me at mark at scoredawaycustoms.com, mark with a K. And the big oh. thing is if you place an order with Scored Away Customs, you are legally bound not to inquire about that order, whatever it's called. Please. Yes, do not <laughs> ask how long it's going to take or it will take longer. It will get delivered eventually. <laughs> We're literally a one-person company handling all of the correspondence, and I just, it, it, it gets a bit overwhelming at times. So we, yeah. God try Corey for his work. Yep. <laughs> so we we try to be super sharp on our lead times. Sometimes we go a little long, but uh, we do our best. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah, well, my experience with your product has been uh, excellent. Good. Ooh, yeah, I appreciate it. Aces all the yeah. way. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Absolutely. I really appreciate having you both here. Cool. Happy to come back anytime. All right. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us today on Radio Free New Hampshire. Don't forget to tell your friends about the episode, and if you enjoyed it, please do let us know. Take care, and we'll talk to you again soon.